0: Holy cow. It's like I've just read it for the first time and God just, he just revealed it to you and just like, like you're, you're he just like felt, felt a fire on the inside. That happens to pastors too, right? Like we we would call those, um, if you, depending on, on what kind of churches you've been in, you would call that a Rhema word. And so what a Rhema word is, it's just like when God speaks through his word and he just, the Holy Spirit just accompanies that one day and he just, the Holy Spirit says like, that's for you right now. And so standalone messages are kind of like, now words from God to our church, right? Not like series are, not and sometimes we've even interrupted series to do messages because it was just like God said, no, you need to preach that now. And so this, <laughs> this now word started back at the end of 2019. I, started, I look back at my journal. I've been, I've been jotting down thoughts about this topic since 2019, before the pandemic ever happened, before any of the stuff that we've done for the last year took place. And so this morning, I want us to talk about um, the three kingdoms. We're going to talk about three kingdoms. Now, this is like so teaching oriented, okay? So if you're a note taker, this is your jam. You'll be like, I love it, right? Um, so, yes, woohoo, here we go. So let's just jump right in. Um, we're going to talk about the three kingdoms. Um, here's the first kingdom. And it is, this won't surprise you. This is without a doubt. The fastest growing kingdom in our culture—it's the kingdom of me. The kingdom of me. Um, David Brooks is a cultural cultural commentator. He writes for the New York Times, and he's got a book called *The Road to Character*. And he wrote this in his book. And if you will just give me grace, I'm going to read it to you because it's it's that good. It's a little lengthy, but it's worth it. Here's what he says. He's he's writing about These are his words, not mine. The transition that he sees in culture from a humble culture to what he calls the big me culture. Okay? And this is what he says. When the elder George Bush, who was raised in that era, meaning the humble culture, was running for president, he, having, oh gosh, that's a big word, inculcated the values of his childhood, resisted speaking about himself. If, listen to this, if a speechwriter put the word I in one of his speeches, he would instinctively cross it out. The staff would beg him, You're running for president. You've got to talk about yourself. And eventually they'd cow him into doing it. But the next day he'd get a call from his mother George, you're talking about yourself again, she'd say. And Bush would revert to form. No more I's in the speeches, no more self promotion. Over the next few years, This is David talking. I collected data to suggest that we have seen a broad shift from the culture of humility to the culture of what we might call the big me. From a culture that encouraged people to think humbly of themselves to a culture that encouraged people to see themselves as the center of the universe. It wasn't hard. These are his words. It wasn't hard to find such data. For example, don't get lost in the numbers. Just hang in there. Between 1948 and 1954, psychologists asked more than 10,000 adolescents whether they considered themselves to be a very important person. At that point, 12% said yes. The same question was asked in 1989, and this time it wasn't 12% who considered themselves very important. It was 80% of boys and 77% of girls. Psychologists have a thing they call the narcissism test. They read people, still this is him, him writing, they read people's statements and ask if the, if the statements apply to them. Statements such as, I like to be the center of attention. I show off if I get the chance because I am extraordinary. Somebody should write a biography about me. These are the questions, that they, the statements that they would say. Listen to this. The median narcissism score has risen 30% in the last two decades. 93% of young people today, score higher on the narcissism test than the middle score just 20 years ago. We think about ourselves a lot. And wouldn't it be great, and I think that some have tried to do this, if we could just say that's the world's problem? The world thinks about themselves a lot. Wouldn't it be great, um, seasoned adults, if we could throw this off as a millennial or Gen Z problem. And can I suggest this? That's exactly what we've done. We have, as an older generation said about a younger generation, they're so self-absorbed. All they want are trophies. And I heard, I heard a, a speaker make this statement. He said, you know, we whine about the trophy generation as if we somehow forgot which generation bought the trophies. This isn't just a cultural problem. This isn't just a young generation problem. I would submit this is a church problem. Can we show this quick video? I think we've got video proof that it is a church problem.
1: Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get can do when you arrive we begin
0: this guy he plays by his own rules we want to find a church where if he starts screaming we're not the bad guys right come
1: here say no more if your baby's screaming you stay seated the others around you can leave
0: you know financially sherry and i don't give a lot to the church but we'd sure like to know who does
1: all right if you join now you'll know what every person gives in detail
0: when I'm in the church
1: service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If
0: I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game.
1: All right, you join now and we'll get you there.
0: I like a pony.
1: Look in your backyard. Me, church, where it's all about you.
0: Uh, we only laugh because it's so true, right? It's so true. And we love you. If we can figure out a way to have a minister where we can change your oil while you're sitting here, we'll do it, right? We love that. Um, so let's let's talk about the kingdom of me. If you're into charts, you're going to love this. Can we throw that up there? Um, some characteristics of the kingdom of me. And by the way, at the end of this, we'll have a screen that has all three kingdoms so you can see them all compared. If you're a person that likes to pick up your phone and take pictures, you can do that, Um Here's what the kingdom of me is is about. It's marked by self-centeredness. That's a no-brainer. We are so aware of ourselves. Again, 93% of young people scoring higher on the narcissism test than just 20 years ago. It creates enemies. The kingdom of me naturally creates enemies. Because if you're not for me, you're against me. Because it's all about me. It's fueled by pride. Pride. Listen, listen to how many I statements people make as you are in conversation. It's me versus the world. I am Lord. And I would say that the kingdom of me is about egos. Some scriptures for you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Paul writes this: You should know this, Timothy. That in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Aren't you thankful for a God who warns us? Like, I love that. And this was so long ago, right? God's like, hey, Timothy. And Paul's like, Timothy, it's, it's going to get bad. And here's how he describes the difficult times. Verse 2. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing of God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. You can read through the rest of that chapter. There's a lot of sobering things that Paul says. But what I want you to see is the very first description he gives is that they will love only themselves. Now, in, in our culture, the tendency is as, as churches, as pastors, we want to say what makes everybody happy, right? Right? Because nobody likes to be around grumps. So we want to say good things that make people smile and they love it. And so we want to say things to the culture like Jesus is going to be your best friend. And all that could be true. It probably is true, right? But the word that we need to speak to this culture, this culture where the kingdom of me is so prevalent, is Romans chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to what Paul writes here. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is like God is speaking to us. You're with me, Right? And he says this, but he, God, will pour out his anger and wrath on those who, what? Live for themselves. Not a popular message. And one of the reasons why in the church we like to say, well, bad people think about themselves. is because we don't ever want to consider the fact that we might be the people receiving anger or wrath from God. It's possible that we could just be in the church but actually not following Jesus. And and this is what the Bible says. If we're living in the kingdom of me, if we're living there, this is our destiny, his wrath and his anger. On those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Now, second kingdom. The second kingdom is the kingdom of we, one E. That's very important, <laughs> right? The kingdom of we. Now, here's the dangerous part about this kingdom. Doesn't it just sound better than the kingdom of me? Like, it feels like an improvement, doesn't it? Like, I stepped up, and so now I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about other people. And, and if that were the case, that would be great, and there's plenty of scriptures in the Bible about, about putting others first and, you know, consider others better than yourselves. But here's the truth about the kingdom of we. We're no longer living for ourselves. We're trying to live for others. But the truth of the matter is in the kingdom of we, we're only living with others who look like me. I, I got work to do. I can tell. Y'all are like, what? Can we... um? Let's throw up the characteristics, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. The kingdom of of, of we is kind of like um, how many of y'all subscribe to a plus subscription, like Disney Plus. Um, is, is there a Hulu Plus? If there's an ESPN Plus. I think there's that. Um, the kingdom of we is like the kingdom of me plus. It's just getting a whole bunch of people together who think about themselves and look like each other, and saying we're together. So if the if the kingdom of me is marked by self centeredness, then the kingdom of we is marked by self righteousness because our group made the rules. And our group's rules are better than your group's rules. And if you're gonna be a part of our group, you better do what we say. Self righteousness. The Pharisees would be a really good example of the kingdom of we. Whole bunch of people who got together who wore the same crazy hats and who all knew the same rules and made sure they all did the rules. They all looked the same. The kingdom of we creates rivals. Can I just, like, step on toes for a second? I mean, you wouldn't be here if you didn't know my heart, right? I said this way back in the day when we were starting the church. One of my least favorite phrases, I totally understand why we use it, but one of my least favorite church phrases is, I love my church. Because when I say I love my church, what I'm really saying is my church is better than your church. And if you love your church, um, if, you love, if you came to my church, you would probably stay here because it's so much better. Now what we've done is we've made it more um, scriptural. So we've said things like we're building tribes. My tribe. I found my tribe. Right. I, I, I say this all the time. I was somewhere the other night and I was like, I, I told Wendy, I found my people. You ever had that moment happen where like, I found my people, right? And, but if they're my people, then are my people better than your people? I'm just, I'm pushing back a little bit because I want us to think through the language that we use. So if I found my tribe and you found your tribe and we both think that our tribes are better than the other tribes, what do we do with Revelation when every nation, every tribe falls at the, key, the feet of Jesus? When I read Revelation, I see every tribe together. I don't see white church, black church, Hispanic church, hip church, skinny jean church, baggy, saggy jean church, gray-haired church, no-hair church, Mohawk church. I don't see any of that in the Bible. So when we start saying, I love my church, it's like this little dig at all the other churches and all the people who picked the wrong church. So I, I will submit this, that the kingdom of we is the most popular one in the church. And we feel good about it. We bought T-shirts for it because we, we're, it's our church. It's fueled by preference. I hope that word really gets into you. Why do we have so many churches in America? Because we have so many opinions and so many preferences. When's the last time that you hung in with people that you didn't agree with? Because God said, this is where you belong. Instead of saying, well, I don't really like the way that you do that. You know, I, I liked it a lot when Jennifer sang and led worship, but that Paul guy, oh boy. If we can get back to Jennifer leading, right? You know, the problem with that is it leaves no margin for seasons of life. It leaves no margin for God to move in different ways because it meets our preference. It's no longer me versus the world. Now it's us versus the world. You and me, babe, us versus the world. We are Lord. And if the kingdom of me is, is known by egos, this one's known by logos. Logos. Make sure you put your church's brand on that so everybody knows what church that phenomenal message came from. Make sure you put your name on it so they know who preached it. I think they're supposed to remember who we're preaching about, not who's preaching about him. Make sure you brand it. Don't miss the moment. And again, hear my heart. It's not that it's bad to love your church. It's bad when it's just us. Genesis chapter 11. This is interesting to me because one of the reasons why I went to this verse, uh, this, well, it's like seven verses. The, the reason I went here is because we talk so much about unity, and unity is so powerful. Y'all know that, right? And unity is a good thing. But what we consider unity is actually uniformity. Everybody everybody thinks the same. They dress the same. They all know when to say amen during the sermon. You should hang out with messy people. You should preach to people who don't know when to say amen. I had a brother like that. We used to do the service up the street for um, adults with disabilities, and they just say whatever they want whenever they want. And it's fantastic because it puts you in your place. You're like, I'm not, it's not about me. We're here to serve, right? Like, you should just hang out with people who don't know the right thing, who don't know the Christian vernacular. Like, we want to we plan a church, build a church where people who don't know if they just cussed or not come can come, right? Where they jack people up and say, don't talk about my bleeping, bleeping pastor like that. I'd like to have some people like that in the church, to be honest with you because they don't know what to say. They're just talking. But when we have those people, when they come into our kingdom of we, they disrupt what makes us comfortable, because the kingdom of we is marked by preference. And I would prefer that you didn't say that type of a word, or I'd prefer that you didn't dress that way, or I'd prefer that if you're going to sing and you don't have a good voice, at least whisper. Man, this is big in the church, y'all. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 7. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Oh, man, that would be so much easier. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. Verse 3, they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and let's harden them with fire. And in this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Verse 4, then they said, come. Come. Let's build a great city for who? Ourselves. With a tower that reaches into the sky, this will make who? Us famous and keep what? Us from being scattered all over the world. What I want you to see is that there's power in a group of people getting together and doing the same thing. That's called unity, and that's a good thing. But there's also power when a group of people get together and say, we're going to make our way the way. And Jesus, uh, God, verse 5 says, the Lord came down, looked at the city and the tower the people were building. And he said in verse 6, look, the the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. God recognizes the power of unity, right? Now think about this. And we're we're getting we're going somewhere. This might be a little bit of a sneak peek into the next kingdom, but you've already figured it out, so it's okay. We just read a story about everybody speaking the same language, right? Um, again, not a political message. I'm just being honest. Like if you've ever if you've ever struggled with the fact that that we might need to learn some Spanish to communicate with people, you could have a Babel problem, right? Well, you're in America. Learn our language, like. I, not trying to be political, but like if we're going to communicate in a way that people can receive good news, it might be good to try to learn some of that language, right? If God's bringing people here, maybe we try to communicate with them. So I get how messy that is. I just want you to see the power of the gospel. Here we read a story about everybody everybody speaking the exact same language. Communication is super easy. How many of you have been on a mission trip and tried to talk to people without an interpreter? How I many of you paid way more for something than you should have and you thought you were getting a deal, right? It's, it's hard to communicate cross-culturally without somebody to, like, interpret what you're trying to say and all this stuff. And that's why the people that live in those countries, they smile so big when we come shopping, right? Because they're like, sucker. But we think they're saying, welcome, you know. So when everybody spoke the same language, it was so much easier, And God said, but they have the wrong goal. They want to build a kingdom for themselves, right? We just read it. Let's let's build a tower for ourselves. It will protect us from them. It will make sure that we never have to go there. And God said, "Mm, I want unity, but I don't want that. So he said, snap, and everybody starts speaking these languages. Nobody can understand it, right? Fast forward to the New Testament. The power of the Holy Spirit can bring people together in such a way that they can speak different languages and have the same connection. I've been in, in church services overseas where I couldn't tell you a thing that they were singing. But I just sang with my 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 American Southern English heart out, right? To what they were doing because like we just were connected. That's the gospel. That's the unity that God's after. Not that we would all look the same, but that we would be one. All right, so last kingdom. How many of you have already figured this one out? The kingdom of me, the kingdom of we, and the third one is the kingdom of he. It's gotta be he, right? Because that's the only one that rhymes. It's probably not, not good grammar, but we'll we'll roll with it. The kingdom of he. Um, ultimately, this is the kingdom that we want to be a part of and that we want to live for. So, here's characteristics. And again, if you want to take, your, take a picture of this, you're welcome to. We'll leave this up for a little bit. Here's the characteristics of the kingdom of He. Just so you can see how these all compare to one another. This one's marked by self denial. Where the kingdom of me creates enemies and the kingdom of we creates rivals, this creates a mosaic. How many of you know what a mosaic is? Um, so I think you can make a mosaic with like different colored jewels and stuff. But the kind of mosaic I'm thinking about is like when you take lots of pictures, and they all make one picture. Can we show that one quick picture of um, um, Kobe Bryant? Just that's an example. Do you see that? So if you could, if you and we're not going to do this, but if you zoomed in on that picture, you would see. I don't know how many pictures there are, but let's just say 2,000. There's 2,000 individual pictures but they're all arranged in such a way that it creates a bigger picture. Does that make sense? This is the kingdom of we, not Kobe Bryant. Can we go to the other one? Forget Kobe Bryant. This is the kingdom of, of, we, of, of he. He takes all of us with our individuality, and he places us in such a way that it creates a picture of Jesus, not a picture of the gathering's logo, not a picture of the way you, you wish we did worship or the, the, the version of the Bible that you wish I preached from. It's okay to have those preferences because those are part of the little bitty pictures, right? Like some of y'all are like, I'll never get the New Living Translation. But the day that Paul preaches from the New American Standard, y'all, I'll know that's the day the Holy Spirit showed up. Some of us think that way. And hey, That's cool. Take your little New American Standard Bible person version, and you can be the bottom left corner in that picture. But make sure you're in the picture with your little individual desires and make sure that they're part of something bigger than who you are because then you can help us create the kingdom of he. So that when people look at that picture, none of you saw the individual pictures. You just see Jesus. That's what the kingdom of he is about It's not fueled by pride. It's not fueled by preference. It's fueled by presence. And I don't mean our presence. I mean his presence. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Do you know why uh, I'm convinced of this? The reason why we separate parts of our world from church life is because we don't really believe that Jesus is going to show up in the other parts of our life. I can't go into details because we have kids in the room. But the part, the one moment in my life when I felt about that big was when I went to tell my kind of ex-girlfriend that I had become a Christian and we ended up doing some stuff that you kind of don't do when you're a Christian and then she looked at me and said, "I thought you were a Christian." Because I hadn't made the connection that Jesus was with me there. Just like he was with me at youth camp. Y'all, you want to have a, revolu- a revolution? You want to have a revival? A personal revival? Start realizing that Jesus is with you 24-7, 365, and 366 on leap year. His presence is with us all the time. And when we walk with his presence, we, we build the kingdom of he. It's, it's not... It's not me versus the world. It's not us versus the world. The kingdom of he is, is heaven in the world. We carry heaven to the world. He said, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We carry that places. When you go shop at Walmart, you're carrying the presence of Jesus into Walmart. You should change the attitude in the line. Instead of walking out grumpy because they didn't open up another line for you, oh kingdom of me person. I don't feel if will be that strong in the 11 o'clock service. It never works out that way, but I feel that right now. And I'm not, it's not like I'm mad about it. I'm just like, I see it in me too, y'all. We're living in the wrong kingdoms. In, in this kingdom, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And, and if, if the kingdom of me is about ego and the kingdom of we is about logos, then this one's about zeros. Everybody say, I am zero. So We don't even know what to do with that because we, when we preached about this last week, we live in a world where every book that's written says, you're everything. Let's go back full circle, right, to 93% of young people today score higher on a narcissism test. Because we have told them you're amazing, and they are, but only in perspective of who He is, right? Like you're the most amazing non-essential human on the planet compared to the Lord, right? Maybe, I don't, maybe that's what we should say, but just to make a good T-shirt. We got to get to this place where it's not about us anymore. John said he must increase and I must decrease. So if Jesus' number is going up to 100, my number is going down to zero. got to get okay with that. But, Paul, no one will ever know that you're an amazing preacher. Well, I'm not. And even if I was, that's not what they should know. But don't we want people to know how awesome the gathering is? Well, no. I want them to know how awesome Jesus is. And if they want to come here and worship him, great. But if they know how awesome Jesus is and they need to worship him in another church, do that. But, but like, who's going to give the money? I, I don't know. Jesus? <laughs> who's going to pay your salary? I don't, I don't know. John? I don't know. I meant John. <laughs> He's sitting right there. <laughs> Y'all were like, John the Baptist? What? What? John the disciple? The no, John. John the, the guy that writes the checks. <laughs> who, who cares? Consider the lilies of the field, the sparrows. God gives them what they need. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. I love this verse. This is in the New International Version. Here's how it says it. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body. Raise your hand if you're a part of the body. Be proud, right? He's placed the parts in the body, every one of them. You matter. You matter. He's placed them just as he wanted them to be. Do you see do you see Jesus with the mosaic? So like he looks around and he goes, "Hmm. I got some I got some darker skinned believers. They would be awesome in my beard." Right? So he just takes him and goes, you're going to be in the beard. And then he looks at me during the winter. He's like, that dude's going to go in the white background. Right? (laughs) He is white. His legs are shiny. (laughs) And so I go in the white part of the picture. Can we throw that picture up one more time? And he looks at all of these different people. And he figures out where they fit. And he starts building a picture. And you see... If we were all like shiny leg white you wouldn't have Jesus. But if it was all dark black you just have the wall. Who you are matters to God. You know why? Cuz he made you that way. He created you that way. He he made you on purpose for a purpose. And then he according to the verse we just read, he took you and he placed you in the body Just as he wanted it to be. Now, I'll submit this. Some of you are making the body suffer. Because you have gifts that he's given you that you're supposed to be using for the kingdom of he. And you're still happy to sit back and receive. And it's probably time to let him use you. Right? Well, I just wish the church would start groups back. Well, guess what? I wish you'd start a group. Well, I don't have people. Yet, you have neighbors. Throw a barbecue. Buy some hamburger meat. Well, I thought that's what the church does. You are the church. That's what you do, right? Like, it's time to get in a game. It's time to help build that. Well, that would, like, take a lot of my time. I know he's trying to make you a zero. You're supposed to decrease. He's supposed to increase. This is how the kingdom works. The kingdom of He. Now, we're going to wrap this up (laughs) because y'all have had enough, I can tell. The reason why the kingdom of he is such a struggle is because it's the only one that requires death to enter it. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he, Jesus, said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Sounds like the kingdom of me, doesn't it? Take up your cross daily and follow me. The entrance into the kingdom of he is death. It's the only one that requires our death. And that's one reason why we struggle with it. I mean, and, and if you've heard me correctly, right now you're struggling with it. Because you're going to walk out of here with more questions than answers. And I'm 100% okay with that. Because you're going to be trying to figure out how to apply this. Now wait, like, is it okay to, to like Bethel worship more than Hillsong? Does that make me the kingdom of me? Am I... Am I in the kingdom of we? But Jesus, you know I love you. Man, go wrestle with that stuff. Have fun with Jesus. Right? Wrestle through those. Just ask yourself that question. I'll tell you this. If you get to the place where the only church you'll go to is the church that sings your type of worship songs, you're not in the kingdom of he anymore. Because now you're just building a picture that's just one person. He's calling you to die to who you are. And as your pastor, I'm going to say it clearly. I'm calling you to die to who you are so that you can bow your knee to Jesus. Cheesy big idea, we have to bow the knee in the kingdom of he. It's the only kingdom that requires you to bow your knee. You can stand tall in the kingdom of me, and we can stand tall together in the kingdom of we. As a matter of fact, we can stand tall together and have a prayer service and start screaming and shouting and running around and feeling like it was the best church service we ever had, and if we never bowed the knee to Jesus, he wasn't a part of it. Right? Am I reading the Bible wrong? I don't think so. He said, you got to take up your cross daily and follow me. And so I want to call you to that this morning. I want to call you. So I think why for me songs like um, New Wine, Whoo, introverts just had a panic, panic attack? This is why the songs like New Wine they they just resonate with me right now, because he's crushing us, he's pressing us. But guess what's going to come out of that? Jesus, like he's going to flow out of us, y'all. You're going to see revival where you work, because people are going to look at you and go, Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I recognize you because you look like Jesus. That's the point, right? And it only comes when he squeezes us, and we become zeros, and he is Lord. Would you close your eyes? Would you, would you just start taking an inventory of your life? I don't really know how to close services like this and messages like this because, I mean, I need to give you a clear call to make Jesus Lord of your life. And I also recognize that I'm in an American church. So I'm talking to people who are probably pretty sure they're saved, and you probably are. But I'd sure love for you to honestly ask yourself, which kingdom am I living in? Which kingdom am I living for? A, a while back, I told you um, every day at 923 in the morning to pray Psalm 139.23. Search me and know me, O God. See, test me and see if there's any anxious thoughts in me. Lead me in the way, everlasting. And I stopped doing it, and I've started doing it again, like every day at 9.23, because now the iPhone has updated so you can actually set minutes and not just like every five minutes. So at 9.23, my phone goes off. It's reminding me to pray that prayer. That's a kingdom prayer, y'all. Search me, God, and know me. See if there's anything in me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Because, God, at the end of the day, what we want is to lay our kingdoms down. And we want to serve in your kingdom. So, could you simply respond to the Lord like this? Maybe don't think about what kingdom you're living in as much as what kingdom do you want to be living for. What kingdom do you want to give your life to? And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I want to give, I want to live for the kingdom of He. I want my preferences to die, my pride to die. I want I want to bring His presence everywhere I go. I want to forget my ego and my logos. I want, I want to be a zero and exalt Him. If that's where you are, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet and just hold your hands out in front of you. And I want to pray over you as we leave. And I'm completely okay this morning if it's everybody because I would hope that that's our motivation is to live for the kingdom of He. You stand and just put yourself in a posture to receive and I just want to pray a prayer over you before we head out of here. It's not a call to salvation necessarily although if you're not following Jesus this is a great time to start. This is a call to take up your cross deny yourself and follow Him. And just before I pray to make sure that everybody understands practical what this means practically. If you're saying yes to that prayer, you don't get to talk about me at lunch today. Or the people that sat around you and didn't sing well. Or the people who didn't dress the way you wanted them to. We don't get to do that anymore. Because he's building a kingdom of he. He must increase and we must decrease. And so, Lord, right now what I'm praying over all of us, myself as well, is that as we willingly choose to deny ourselves and take up the cross, this instrument of death, right, as we pick that up and follow you, what we empty, you promise to fill. And so I pray right now just a release of your Holy Spirit, the spirit that comes to bring unity, true unity, into a body where everybody looks different. And we're, we're just saying, God, with our hands outstretched, Lord, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that will move me into the places I need to be as you create this mosaic so that our church, along with a lots of other churches, would present a picture of Jesus to our city. And I pray that, God, wholeheartedly, God, I want our church with other churches to be part of that mosaic. This is not how the gathering is going to make a mosaic. We want to be part of the mosaic that you're creating in our city because a city needs to see Jesus, and we want to be a part of it. And we thank you that we will be, God, when we offer ourselves to you in that way. In your name, Jesus. Somebody say amen.